What's up, world? Welcome back to Authentically Less, the podcast where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do. I'm your host, Conroy Smith. I'm here with your man, the man, Tony The Morton. What's up, Yo, Tony? what's up? Hey, today, um, actually, before we even jump in, hey, if you guys been rocking with this this long and you haven't shared or and you haven't reviewed and you haven't liked, I mean, what are you doing? Like, do you like us? Like, what's do up? You, do you, you know, you, you, we're still working through things. We like to be accepted. So, hey, leave us a review. Let us know um, which episode you like. Let us know what you actually uh, want us to talk about too. Um, today we got a we got a, we got a really cool episode, a special episode um, where we'll be talking with Eric Miller just about the the foster care system and his experience of going through foster care. And then he's expecting. So tune in for this episode. You're in for a good one. I'm in Harrisburg, PA. Uh, okay. I grew up in York, PA. Um, my biological family is there. And when I got adopted, I we moved from York, PA to um, North Adams, Massachusetts, Berkshire oh, wow. County. Anyone, I, if I say Berkshire County, everyone knows what that is. Yeah. More. <laughs> that's a big, that, yeah. that's a big move. I, I grew up more, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Man, to go from um, South Central Pennsylvania, or I guess the capital, to go all the way to Mass with a family, like a foster family, it was like, must have been like very, very like eye-opening, shocking. How how old were you when this happened? Uh it was right before it's Y2K. So it was like I was nine turning ten. Man. And even Y2K, that's when everybody <laughs> thought the world was gonna end. I don't know if you guys remember that. <laughs> I remember I exactly where I was. I remember I staying exactly up. Yeah. I remember staying up late. And I'm like, all right, so midnight, it, the world's supposed to end, right? And I remember staying up, the ball drops, still here. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's so wild. And when you think about that, it doesn't really make sense. Because if the world was going to end, it should have ended, what, in like Dubai first? Because the, like they're ahead of time. And like we would have known ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow. The Midwest or like the Western hemisphere probably would have been hit first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's it it was such a weird concept, but I I I was at my grandma's house. I I remember exactly where I was when I thought the world was gonna end. Tony, where were you? Y two K. I have no idea because I was I didn't believe it, so I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> I paid in no mind. Man, so when you when when you got to mass, um, talk talk a little bit a little bit about that because I guess it must have been. It must have been it must have been cool because a family finally, um, you know, wanted you, as you mentioned before. Um, but like when you got to mass, what was your what was your like experience or even like your, you know, first couple of thoughts or that you can remember? So, like, it, it's interesting because that was my adopted family at the time. And then um, we ended up uh, it was my first time out of the state of PA, honestly. So, like. City PA, I've lived in Pennsylvania for like my first eight or nine years. 
And then all of a sudden I'm going to a new state. I've, I've visited Massachusetts a few times before because my adoptive family had their family up there. But like when I was there to live, I'm like, oh, this is, this is real. Like there's no going back. I don't know anything right now. It's all yeah. new again. And it kind of reverted back to like the foster care survivor mentality where like, okay, I'm going to shut myself out for a little bit. I have my friends. I know who they are. But at the same time, I am not really knowing as much as I used to know. Like this is still new. Um, And we had moved there because at the time, my adoptive uh, grandfather, my adoptive mother's father wasn't doing well. And she's a nurse. So she wanted to help him out and kind of be like, well, I'm a nurse, so let me help you. Let me help you get better. His health, unfortunately, was just kind of deteriorating. So it just it was his time to go at that point. And I didn't really know him too well. Mm-hmm. I just knew my cousins and my aunts and a few uncles. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that your parents, your biological parents, uh, lived in Harrisburg. Yeah. Um. Now, what was that? What was that like? Were you like immediately in foster care, or um, like you were with your parents for a certain amount of time, and then you know went into the system, or how, how was that? Yeah. So I had actually, and I just found this out maybe like seven years ago. This history of my life, um, and it was the same year that my wife and I got married for my grandmother who lives in England. So my aunt, my biological aunt, gets pregnant from a guy. I guess she's been seeing for a while whatever and again this is back in like the late 80s early 90s and she gets pregnant but my biological mom got really jealous Mm -hmm. so turns out like she met a guy i don't even know who the guy was but they met and then she got pregnant so she didn't like the attention her younger sister was getting and so seeing i guess like she didn't tell anyone by the way my grandmother was in england at the time she wanted to pop in and visit with her. Well, her visit was actually trying to get her visa to stay in England so mm. that we could like live with her. Oh, wow. And yeah, she didn't tell my grandmother this. My grandmother, she goes to England and my grandmother's telling us like seven years ago that she was there and you see that she's pregnant. She's like, what's that? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> I'm pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and my grandmother's like, what? <laughs> Yeah, like you can't even make this up. So they go to um, the the trying to get like the visa or the dual citizenship for me and my mom to live in England. And my gra- they asked my grandmother to go in first, so they're meeting with her. And my grandmother was like, they point blank asked her, like, "Do you want her to stay here?" My grandmother said, "No, wow. I'll kill her, straight up. I oh, don't want wow. my daughter to be here." So we went back to the States and I think because of the rejection, like my mom, my biological mom had a lot of rejection in her life to begin with. So she didn't know if she wanted to keep me. So for the first three months of my life, I wasn't actually like, I didn't have that moment with my mom. When you're first born, you have those pictures and you have that moment. I, to this day, still believe I never had that with her Mm, because she didn't know if she wanted to be my mom. So um, I was originally supposed to be put up for adoption right away and there were i years later i found that there was a family already picked out for me there was like pictures of me as a baby with them they were going to take me and then 
I guess three months later, she decided, no, I'll take him. But only just because I think she felt obligated to. I don't think she really wanted me. Now, I don't know her train of thought at this point. Yeah. Um, Because I've never talked to her about this, but that's just kind of how I've interpreted it as, as, but she took me back. And then the first, I guess my dad, my biologic father and her kind of worked something out where I was with him, but I wasn't with him. And then I guess because he was an alcoholic, he abused me. And I don't remember this until I was about 14 where I came home from the hospital, but I, I got no idea what it was about. And a therapist ended up telling me, like, yeah, you got severely abused when you were, like, three or four. Wow. And you wow. got sent to the hospital because your dad was an alcoholic. And you came back. But, you like, I have no memory of it. I just remember coming home and being, like, with my family. Yeah. And that's it. That's crazy. So how, how is your relationship with your mom now? Like, have you guys reconciled? Is she kind of? not in your life because like i'm sure that's hard to sit with even now Mm -hmm. um as you navigate life it's um it's tricky you know like you're thankful that she gave birth to you and you're thankful that um whatever the decision was made that you're here but at the same time like you said that's a lot to hold on to and a lot to like kind of work through so it's 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 a civil relationship with her it's we'll see each other because i do have contact with my biological family I actually just saw them this past weekend most of them anyways my aunts and cousins and we hang out like as much as we possibly can we stay in contact facebook all the social medias and it's great to talk to them because they weren't part of that they mm. like some of them are still my age or younger so they have no idea what the heck happened with me and my biological mom. Yeah. Um, and I can't hold that against them. The only person I can hold, and I try not to hold it against her because I don't know what she was going through at the time, but it's just, it's tough because I want to have her, but at the same time, it's like, well, what do you do with everything that you learned about her when you were younger? Yeah. Yeah. Like we yeah. can't choose who we are given to but we could choose how we treat them and if she didn't yeah. want me well then you missed out on me getting licensed me getting my like graduating high school college you missed all of that so yeah it it, it does sound like a tricky thing because you're, you're right we don't get to choose our parents we, get, we don't get to choose our family you know we get we can choose our friends we can we can choose you know who we you know marry all these things but mm-hmm. we don't get to choose our parents and you know tony i you know we've talked about the the family dynamics in one of our earlier podcasts about how we we grew up you know very hard situations where um you know i I know for for my family it it could have been you know only a moment um, an incident um before you know we could have been in the foster care system um even, even, you know, with Tony's story, it, it could have went down that way. And I know so many people who have been in the foster care system. Um, can you, can you just kind of talk a little bit about like just about the system for the viewers that like explain kind of how the process like works? Yeah. So like, uh, for me anyways, in my experience, 
experience. I got to, like, after, so I got abused twice. I'm just going to throw that out there. The second time I got abused under my mom's care, my biological mom's care. Um, and that was about the time when, like, no one was really talking to her and her family or our family. And she just kind of started doing her own thing. So I came to school one day with a bruise, like, on my head because I just got head bumped, like, three or four wow. times. And it was picture day. And it's why I only remember that, because I remember seeing the gigantic bruise on my forehead. And they ended up, the school ended up like contacting whoever, CYS or whoever. So they took me out right down in there. Like that day was the last day I ever went back to live with her. Um, and I had, I think I lied. I don't even remember what I said, but they take you to like, they're either their office and they're trying to find like, are you available to have a child here for the night? And sometimes it's either for a night, sometimes for a weekend, sometimes it's for a, like a couple months. My situation, because I was, I think I was six or seven at the time, it was, this is going to be not long-term, but he's got a lot of things he's got to work on. And when you're six and seven, like, you don't know what you're working on. You know, like, can you imagine yeah. a six and seven-year-old going to a therapist and like trying to figure out how to talk to them like i had no idea what the heck i was talking about them yeah or what they wanted from me <laughs> and like i see oh you're giving me attention oh i'm gonna act like i always act to get the attention because i don't get any yeah. and yep. like it's just, it's just rough so when you're there like i went to one foster home but they were trying to find my my father and because again, after a time had passed, I had no contact with him. I hadn't seen him, didn't know, I didn't even know he existed, honestly. And mm. we were, I was in one foster home. Ironically, that, fo- like, I love that foster home because it was just me and there was the two parents. Um, but I guess I was a little too old. And sometimes foster parents want younger kids so they can rear up their own. I had already had some baggage with me being six and seven years old. So I was seen more as, well, he's a little too much. It's not the kind of age group that we want. Mm. Um, mm. But in that time period, I went, they found my dad in the same school district. So it kind of was easier to like, okay, it's not going to work out here. Maybe we can have his dad come into the picture. Well, dad came into the picture with stepmom and stepbrother and they were already established in their own home. I mean, at that house, I didn't even have a room. I slept in the living room on, I don't know if you guys remember those like little foldable chairs that could turn into like a mattress. Oh, wow. That, that's what I had yeah. in the living room. Jeez. So it was a chair and then chair by day, bed by night. That was the wow. just in the living room. Mm. Mm. And so I, I did that for a while. And then the, the lawyers and caseworkers were telling my, my dad, hey, if you're going to have him in your care, you have to do this, this, and this. You ain't going to tell me effing anything to do about, my, about how I'm going to raise my kid. Either I'm going to raise my kid this way or I'm not, I don't want him. Wow. And they wow. flat out told the judge that one day. And I remember that because I was like, oh, dad's leaving. Okay, well, well now what? And I went with the caseworker back to the original foster home. Man. so like it's crazy to see that like dad didn't want me mom didn't want me no one wants me you know and you're six wow. and seven at that time yeah 
Yeah. So when when was the point in your life where you where you realized people do want you like genuinely? I think originally it was with Miller's because Miller's my uh, adoptive name. Uh, my real last name is Allwine, but my adoptive name is Eric Miller. Um, and again, in the beginning with the Millers, it was it was tough because there was a lot of adjusting. I was, I think, eight or nine when I got adopted with them. And I'd already been in like three, three homes, three foster homes, one group home at that point within a two-year span. Um, wow. So like I, after my dad, I went back to the original foster home that I was originally with in the same school district, left them because by the, they only wanted me there for the end of the school year because they already had a baby that they had, had either adopted or was going to adopt. And they didn't think that I was going to fit in with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they brought me to another home with like four or five other foster kids at the time and at the time it wasn't too bad we uh it took us a little bit to get along because we had like a, a good summer so there's no school we literally like woke up had cereal played they had a pool they had the the corn field in the back yard so we could run through there um i mean if they got lost like yell for help that's what they said <laughs> <laughs> and this was in pennsylvania right oh yeah yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> this, I mean, this so the viewers know. Right. this is this is what this we is central did. pa <laughs> like we've always said the sticks the sticks yes <laughs> the sticks in the corn <laughs> oh man so, so like no god well i was just gonna say it it sounds like you you obviously know trauma. Um, What, like, how have you worked through that trauma? I honestly think it was, it's by the grace of God, honest to God. Um, I, with the Millers, and again, there's a lot of bad, but there was also some good. The fact that they, now, they went to a Baptist church, and I I did actually actively love that church. Um, I loved the people that I was with. I loved the the youth leaders i love the junior church we were with the bus ministry i love doing all that kind of stuff um and accepting jesus was has literally been my savior and all of that um and that was like if there's one good thing that i can take away from the millers it's that Mm -hmm. because who knows what would have actually happened if god was not in in my life now i looking back i think that god has always actively been in my life yeah yeah um, but if i had not gone with the millers accepted jesus i have no idea where i'd be but that to me has been the best decision i ever had because as bad as it's always been the little hope that i've had has been from him and that's enough to get through the day yeah because you hear wow. you hear about people going in the foster care system and have hear horror stories mm-hmm. of like being in different homes or getting getting passed around and it seemed like in your situation it was literally looking like a horror story until you know the millers you know took you in um and so you mentioned about like you going to this baptist church now do you think that was like 
where you found your hope and peace. And even if it's even like you mentioned, like even a small piece, part of it. Um, and if that's the case, like, was there like a night that you can remember where like, you're like, wow, this is, this is my family. The reason why I asked that is because mm-hmm. um, growing up, I grew up going to a black church. Going, mm-hmm. We would go to church in and out of church, you know, Easter, Christmas, you know, the, the huge. Um, and there was this one moment where I was at this conference and um, I really felt this, this presence, this peace come over me. And from that moment, it was like, okay, this, this is it. This is it for me. This is, this is the life I want to live. I don't know how to do it because my family for sure ain't doing it, yep. but I know, I know what I felt and I know what it feels like for me. So this is what I'm going to walk in, even if I'm walking down a road. So is there a moment that you can remember? Oh, so mine has to come. So I think with the Millers originally, it started when I was younger because that's when I accepted Jesus. Um, and again, when you're like nine or 10, you're kind of doing it because everyone else is doing it kind of thing. Yeah. It didn't hit me until later when I was a teenager. And um, you had a slow burn. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah. like, cause we were a lot of the time with the Millers, it felt like we were just going through the motions. Like we were one family at the church. And especially when we moved to Massachusetts, that's when like the craziness really started happening. We were one family at church, but when we're at home, it's a whole different story. People mm. were yelling, people are fighting. Wow. Um, they don't like this. They don't like that. It, it was not a great situation to be in. And as much as they tried, there was too much classroom, too much. Someone's in charge. You're not in charge. And it just, it didn't work out. I mean, unfortunately they ended up divorcing uh, about when I was 14 and then they signed their rights away. So when they signed the rights away, I really had no one. Like this was the family that was supposed to adopt me, keep me. And then when the going got tough, signed me away. And that was it. And they left me to group home. And wow. two years later, though, I had, uh, I still tried to go to church in the group home. There were staff members there that would go to church and would try to go to church. So I would try to hitch a ride with them. It's the same church I used to go to with some friends of mine within my adoptive family. So I already knew the church. It's already established. And then there were things that just happened. They're like, ah, we don't really trust her. We don't have staff members I can see. Okay, fine. I'm not going to go to church. All right. I could just still read my Bible and at the home. Um, it was when I was about 16, 16 or 17. Actually, I was 17. And I was at, I just got back from like a two-week uh, camp um, week or two weeks at a summer camp at the Christian camp that my, my best friend's family were in in Massachusetts. And I really was like, man, I'm feeling like this is awesome. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm supposed to go. And I remember one night I was thinking about getting back with an ex who was also in the foster care system at the same time. And her and I had gone through some stuff, but we've always stayed in contact. And I remember going on a date with her. It was a terrible date. But then she, her mom invited me to an evangelist, an evangelist uh, at Assemblies of God Church. So I'm like, all right, here's the deal, God. And I'm making this deal with you right now. Either I'm going because her and I are going to get back together and I'm okay with that. Or you're bringing me here for a reason. 
Yeah, and that's just not how my mind works, by the way. It's it's always or it's you're always bringing me here because always it's always <laughs> always uh, the women, <laughs> and I I'm like all right, God, it's either I'm getting back with her, or I am actually going like you're you're trying to lead me to something, and it that was it was the second thankfully uh, <laughs> not because of her just because never yeah anyways I remember like. I was really like focused in on the, the message and I'm like, I'm really drawn to this. Like they're talking about speaking in tongues, something I never talked because growing up Baptist, you don't, you don't speak in tongues. It's, yeah. it's a forbidden language. You can't do that. God doesn't use that. And going, and I remember I still actually talked to the, the preacher every once in a while. He was doing an altar call and like no one went up for the first like couple of minutes. He's like, all right, I'm going to do one more ultra call. Come on down. I know you want to speak in tongues and like really trying to like get people to come down. No one came down and I just felt like a push. I'm like, okay, uh, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to go up and I'm going to just sit and pray and talk with the God, with God in tongues. And then the whole congregation ended up coming and I'm like, oh crap, that's crazy. Like God really is using me as a vessel to get people to really talk and to talk about that oh okay and it was that moment where i'm like man god is really like in everything there's mm. nothing that he's not in yeah and like as i've gotten older and i i've really started to dive into my history more now the last couple of years um before like i didn't really think anything of it but now i'm like no god was in really everything like god has yeah. always been yeah. every step of the way even when it's been the worst of the worst, God was still there. Just even give that one person and like give you like, hey, it's going to be okay. What's up? Yeah. What's up from? Why? Like, why are you saying that? You of all people, why are you saying this? Mm -hmm. That's God using that person to say, hey, yeah. you're going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm really curious though, like a, a lot of stuff happened to you when you were young. Did you ever have a point where you're wrestling with the Lord being like, if you are real, why did I go through all that I went through? Um, I don't think I ever did. I, and if I did, I think I did it at night when I was sleeping. I remember reading, who was it? Was it Jacob in the Old Testament that was fighting the angel for his name? Yeah. And it kind of felt like that instead. Like, if I ever fight with God, and I always fight with him because I'm like, no, I want to do it this way. <laughs> no, stop it. You're doing it this way. Yeah. You know? And like, I, I just know that in my head, I'm fighting with him, but it's more me fighting myself. Like, okay, I give up. You, you obviously need to take this wheel because I have no idea what the heck I'm doing or what the decision is going to be made. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think like there were a lot of nights where I'm like, why, why am I in a situation? What did I do? What did I do to deserve this? But then I'm like, you know what? You, you have the plan. You have this reason for me. I don't, I don't understand it. And I'm okay with that because sometimes it's part of like the mystery of God. Anyways, is not mm -hmm. understanding everything. Mm -hmm. You don't yeah, need to understand. Good. You just need to trust and have faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think those messages always stayed more in with me. Like, Okay, I don't need to know because God's got the better plan. We're not going to understand it. 
like we will one day when we're in heaven with him but it would like until that day i'm fine with that yeah i'm fine with wow you know tony and i have have talked a lot about um our our past our families and even even hearing your story and tony and i are big promote uh proponents of um mental health and in therapy and just hearing your story like and just like make, for you to be able to talk like how you are talking about it it shows that there is growth it shows that yes. there has been work that has been done mm-hmm. um talk a little bit about like the work you've put in to get to this point uh so this is funny because i was thinking about the story today when uh, i got the questions and um, when I was 15, I was in a group home. So I had like no one at this point. And I was forced to do therapy. And when you're in a group home, you have to do therapy. Like there's either at one, when I first started this group home, there was like three different therapists for like multiple kids. I had the one that was, he was a really cool guy, uh, but he moved on to different, got a job, um, higher, better job. And I'm like, okay. And I remember one day, there was another girl in the same group home. She had another therapist. So we were the only two in that home that did not have the house therapist. And we had heard sto- horror stories about her. Like she does this, she says that, she doesn't make you feel better. She doesn't make you feel that. And I remember her and I looked at each other like, as she was taking, we used to call her them victims. Um, and we're like, oh, she's taking one of her victims again. Oh, and she's like, Vic-, and she actually approached us like, well, what do you mean victims? We've heard stories about you. We're glad we don't have you as a therapist, honestly. Well, sure enough, months later, she ended up becoming the only house therapist we had. The girl left, so she was already gone. She, wherever she went, I don't even remember. But it was me left, and I'm like, oh, crap. Everything that I had said about you, I have to actually talk to you now? Yeah. And I'm 15, and I'm, I'm stubborn. My wife will know this, too. Like, I'm super stubborn. And yep. <laughs> Tony knows this too a little bit. <laughs> I remember there was, I don't know what kind of mood I was in, but I was not in the mood to talk. And I'm always in the mood to talk. I mean, Tony knows this. My wife knows this. Anyone that knows me knows I'm, I'm always willing to talk. But there was a day I literally crossed my hands on my shoulders. Didn't say a word for 45 to, half, to an hour. Didn't say a word. I sat there in the chair and she's like, you're going to talk? Nope, I'm good. Don't want a beer. Don't like you. Don't want to do anything. And for, I think, two or three weeks, that was my therapy session. I didn't say a word to her. I was like, I'm being forced to be here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to see you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't see the point of any of this. I've already heard the stories about you. I don't like any of this. Don't want to be here. And then I broke down. I'm like, I'm a terrible person. I'm sorry. And there's always like a tug with me that God is like, stop being stubborn, you idiot. Stop <laughs> it. These are people who are trying to help you. Not everyone is out there to get you. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't trust that. I don't trust them. Trust me. Mm. I can do that. And then, so like, I would do that, but it really has taken the last, oh man. Two or three years, especially with being married and all the the complications that marriage brings out and all the insecurities and trauma. And you're like, 
well, I don't know how to do this. Well, let's, let's talk with someone about this. Mm. Let's get this figured out. And it, it's really taken the last two or three years to really understand that there is growth. The pain is okay, but you can still learn. And people will come into your life to either teach you something or to be there to help guide you, you know, whatever their cause is. And that, and then it's okay because God still has you and that's what matters. Yeah. That's wow. So, um, in your opinion, what, what would you say needs to change about the foster care system? I think people actually need to be willing to do it to actually make a difference in someone's life. Like I had one kid, um, when I was in specialized foster care, I was about 17 at this time. And we had, we had taken on a kid for respite. Respite is basically someone that uh, either um, they can't go on a vacation or they can't go somewhere. So they need somewhere else to stay. So instead of staying at a friend's house, you're going to stay with a different foster home. And I, again, I got blessed and I got lucky because the foster parents that I had from the group home, people had no, like the staff members had known like who has gone to the house and who has thrived through that house. So I got super lucky with these people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was rough at first because I, I'm a person that's going to test your, I'm going to, I'm going to test your limits. I'm going to test what I can get away with, what I can say, but it's all to learn from you. And that, again, that's what kids do yeah. in general. But with this one kid that we had, I came home and um, I'll never forget because my foster mom at the time had a friend who, uh, God bless her, she was a sweet lady, but she was a hoarder and she reeked every time. And our uncle ended up calling, I don't know if you know what the mothballs are, right? Like to keep like the birds and yeah. like animals away from your crops, or whatever. Well, my uncle ended up calling them bonnie balls instead of mothballs from our friend or like foster mom's friend. So, I come in and I like, I smell the stench right away. I'm like, Oh my goodness. It reeks. And my foster mom comes running to the little door. Shut up. Shut up. Okay. I'm sorry. Was your friend here? Like, I understand if your friend's here. No, my friend was not here. We have this kid who's staying with us who has never been told to wash his clothes, who has never had to shower, who has never had to brush his teeth, any dental hygiene, you name it. He never did it because he was never told to do this Mm. or he was never asked to do or even shown how to do it. Mm. And I'm like, why? So there were people in the foster care system that either want to collect a paycheck or, or you actually do want to make a difference. And those are the people that I got, I got with because they actually genuinely care. Some of the people like that poor kid had people that "Eh, we're just in it for the money and that's it. So, so then how would you say like is a practical way for it, for it to be changed? You know, like how do you vet, how do you vet that? You know, cause it's like, mm-hmm. you want people to, to want the kids and the children in foster care, but like, how do you, I'm sure people can, can fake a story for a couple hours to, to get a check. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, and some of it also probably has to come with the kid as well. Like maybe include, if you're thinking about giving, a foster kid to a family 
well, have them interact with them as well, because that was something that I got to do early on when I was in a group home. Like I had things that I had to work on before I could even see and think about going to a foster home. And I remember my caseworker mm-hmm. was with me. And unfortunately, the first foster home that I, I, um, I interviewed, she had cere- uh, cerebral palsy. So her hand just kept moving. It's not, it's not her fault, but that's just the condition she has. But I think sometimes the system needs to be vetted more with like including other people in the conversations. Mm-hmm. What are they like with their with their friends? What are they like with these people? What are um, what have you seen like them at work? Have you seen them at church? Do they even go to church? And I'm again, I'm not trying to say they have to go to church to be a foster parent, but you at least need to have the right attitude and wanting to change the kid's life because you're unfortunately these kids already have damage yeah they already have baggage with them and it's not their fault Mm -hmm. but how are you not going to add to that yeah how do you have the tools to even to even be ready for that and to to help with that you know yeah Yeah. or or like even do they have the right not just tools but resources yeah that's it because you know i'm I'm sure there's some there's some parents that want to do the right thing, but mm-hmm. then they they may get a child that's just way too demanding, but yeah. they don't have the resources to get what that kid needs to help him further. And so the they either give him back to the system or just do the bare minimum to still get a paycheck and like with one of my foster homes and again i was like 16 in my last foster home and it was a specialized care they still allowed me to become or be a team like if i'm going to our friend's house that's fine check in every once in a while you don't have to check in all the time check in at least two or three hours at a time let us know you're alive and then you're fine just make sure you're back by the certain time yeah so like I remember when I'm a teenager, like they, there was rules that you have, I had to abide by and they have to abide by, but they also were like, well, Eric's been pretty good. So I feel like we can give him a little more freedom and he can be a kid because mm-hmm. he's still a kid. It's, and some, some foster parents realize like they're still kids. They're yeah. still trying to figure this whole life out. Our job as parents is just try to push them in the right direction. And like I had caseworkers who like, I love all my caseworkers in general. I still actually talk to one of them, uh, not regularly, but every once in a while I'll like buzz them up and like, Hey, what's up? How are you? How's life? And we just chat like we were two old friends. Um, yeah. but, but he always instilled that, like that push, like you need to be better. You need to be, be better. I'm going to help you be better. Yeah. I'll still never forget the first conversation I had with them. And it was again in front of my adopted mom who never swore in her life. And he he comes in, slick back hair, kind of looks like Razor Ramon with the gold chains around his neck. And he's like, You fucked up. I'm gonna help you make sure you don't do that. You're gonna be better than this. Wow. You are not gonna have your mistakes mess up your future because you got a good future out of you. Yeah. Wow. So wow. and he flat out said, like, I'm not gonna take your crap. We're going to do it my way. Your way didn't work. It's my turn. 
Okay. And I like right there and there, (laughs) that was the start of our friendship. I'm like, you know what? You lead because I need a leader. I want to learn how to become a leader one day. Yeah. And honestly, that's sometimes what we need. We just need that. Like, especially as a teenager, you know, I I don't know if you guys interact with kids or teenagers nowadays, Mm -hmm. but it's like, sometimes they just need a good slap in the face from somebody different. And then they'll be like, Oh, wow. I actually like you because you did that. (laughs) You know, it's a really weird concept. It's a really weird concept, but it's what they need. Yeah. You know, yeah. Teenagers like real people. Yeah. Because if you're real, like I worked at the Boys and Girls Club for set like six, seven years. And I loved working with the teens because if I'm real with you and I'm me, this is what you're getting. You can't, you're not gonna push me around. I yeah. am the end all be all. I am the rule, and you're just gonna have to get over it. But I'm gonna help you at least try to see and understand because when you see and understand that's where the growth comes yep, yep. until we see and understand things we can't grow yeah that's good you know i i i, I hear your heart about you know wanting to change and even like you working with the boys and Gr- girls club and it's like you're giving back what you you went through and the experiences that, that you 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 had to now like you can regurgitate that because this isn't something i read in a book this is something i went through yeah yeah so tony mentioned earlier in the episode that you are expecting i am um so what what are you like you know are you like what are you excited about what are you nervous about like um when it comes to when it comes to fatherhood i'm excited to have and to be able to every day have just a little impact on him and try to get him to be better than me that's that's my goal and i told that to my wife a while ago like i want him to be better than us i want him to be better than me because Mm -hmm. that right there is i like i want that because i don't want him to be complacent i don't want him to think that oh well just getting by is fine no i want you to be better i want you to be put i want to push you but i want to love you at the same time and i want you to know because these are things i didn't get when i was a kid i want (laughs) I wish I had someone to push me the better. I mean, I had the right people. Don't get me wrong, but I wish I had more of that every day. Like I actually genuinely yearn for that more. Yeah. Um, if I didn't get it, then I'm like, I don't, I don't really care. But when people were like, Eric, we care about you. We love you. We want to see you do better. That made me feel like, okay, I can do this. I need help, but I can do this. I want to be that help for my son. I want or daughter eventually you know right now we're having a son i I want that to be i want to be there for my kids and i don't want them to ever feel like they can't come to me because i've heard so many stories where you can't go to your dad and talk i don't want that i want them to be like dad can we talk about this real quick yes like what what's up like talk to me i got i got one last question before we move on to our next segment but this question actually for tony Tony, I know I keep putting you on the spot. I love doing this, actually. What is one piece of advice you can give Eric? Because <laughs> um, now if you're, you're a father. You've, you've been through a rough childhood as well. What's one piece of advice you can give him um, for his, his, his chance at fi- fatherhood? Um, the, the piece of advice I would give you is 
let Jesus be the standard for what your father looks like, not your childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, because when wait, say that again, Tony. This this like, that was good. When it comes to your fatherhood, make Jesus the standard, not what you went through. Because when when the standard is, I don't want him to go through what I went through, you're still in some type of bondage. That if, if how you parent or maybe your child might say to you, Dad, do you even want me? Just because of something you accidentally do, and if if that resembles what you went through, that's putting yourself in bondage because you will easily think, I'm not doing my job. But if we allow Jesus to be the standard, that leads to freedom. Mm -hmm. Because anything that Jesus calls us to is freeing, not bonding. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That was, that was for me too, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I got you, bro. That was okay. Tony, <laughs> Bishop, pastor, deacon, Rev, bar, all, all the things. <laughs> we, we just out here, you know, throwing out bars. Right. Yeah, man. <laughs> Hey, um, we're going to transition to our, our next segment, which is called Rapid Fire. Uh-huh. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> um, so Rapid Fire, we're going to ask you three questions. Right. First thing that comes to mind, uh, don't pass go. Don't don't phone a friend. This don't is get like your wife. Food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Don't have Lizette listening. First <laughs> <laughs> That's why I got the headphones on us. Right, right. Really listen. <laughs> All right. First question is, would you rather grocery shop for six hours or sit in standstill standstill traffic for three hours? Grocery shopping. Wow. Wow. Okay. At least I'm moving and I'm I'm listening to music and I got my list. I'd much rather do that. Oh my gosh, sit yes. in standstill traffic. Oh no, I'd, yeah. I'd much rather sit in standstill traffic. Nope, no way. <laughs> I hate grocery shopping. <laughs> I love grocery shopping. <laughs> like, I'm the type of person that's going to do the laundry, at least put it in the washer and dryer, but not fold it. <laughs> oh, that's always me. Always. <laughs> I hate, no, that's not me. All right. Second question What are you afraid of? Uh, I hate snakes, honestly. I used to love them, and but as I gotten older, they're just oh, they're so gross. Yeah, even like when I see them, like on on like Instagram videos or like you know some people have them as pets. I just question that person. Yes, <laughs> my grandfather had a a pet snake when we were younger, and I was fascinated by it. But as I got older and like, I've heard there's this one story that will never elude me. This little girl had a pet snake and like for a while it was like the best friend. And then like it stopped eating for a while. So she would let it, let it out of the cage. She would even sleep with this thing. So she brought it to the, yeah, she brought it to the vet and she's like, well, my, like my snake isn't eating and 
it's doing this and doing that. And he's like, well, let, let's keep an eye on it for another two weeks and see like if it's eating or not. So she, again, she tries to like feed like a mice, not interested. She tries to feed it a rat, not interested. And then like, she's still sleeping with the snake by the way, but she brings it to the vet, explains what's going on again. And then explains, and then drops the, uh, oh, well, we've been sleeping in the same bed. And uh, so that's that's new. And the vet's like, wait, what? You, you've been allowing this in your bed? And it has been eating for how long? A couple weeks or months. You need to get rid of that thing. Because the reason why it's not eating is because it's going to eat you. It's stretching out its stomach for you to be the meal. Yeah. Like, nope. Nope, I'm good. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I actually now I never want to talk about snakes no. ever again. Ever, ever. Just <laughs> yeah. So I'm that. That's like a horror story. Type <laughs> so scary. Uh, okay, well I'm gonna try to make a hard transition. Um, now that you're preparing for fatherhood, um, what is your favorite kids show, or what is your show that you're like? You know what? I'm gonna have my son watch this one. There's too many. Oh, Dragon Ball Z for sure. Wow. Okay. Honestly, okay. God, I love Dragon Ball Z. I, I feel mean, like I, I learned call that a kid show. show, but <laughs> what? Dragon Ball Z is a kid show. We're talking about they got colors and you know, anime. <laughs> I thought it was a cartoon back in the day. I had no idea it was an anime. Right. Right. Not gonna lie. Same. Same. <laughs> anime wasn't even well. At least in my world, it wasn't even a word. I didn't no. know what that meant. It's Cartoon Network. It's on Cartoon. All right, I'm watching it. <laughs> oh, man. That's amazing. I actually got to feel like I learned a lot more from that show than any other show growing up. <laughs> man. Interesting. Hey, Eric, thank you so much for uh, for hopping on our podcast. You know, um, our podcast is called Authentically Yes. And just to hear your story and how you truly – um, we're able to dive in and share like some of these things that has happened to your, into your life. Like we are truly grateful for you. Um, cause that is you being authentically you. And I'm so excited for you to be a father. Um, and to see your journey, it's been cool to watch Tony's journey journey as well. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for hopping on the pod today. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And yeah, this man. is really fun because I'm not used to being on this side. I'm used to being your, um, yeah. your guys' side over there. So <laughs> Awesome. Well, we, we tell everybody, you know, once you're on once, you know, we'll, we'll bring you back eventually. So uh, stay tuned. Um, we got more stuff on the way. Eric, thank you again for hopping on Authentically Us podcast. Yeah, Until thanks, next time. Wow, man, that was that was a really uh, good episode. Would you uh, think about um, Eric's story? You know, I, I think the foster care system is good in theory, you know, even hearing some of the things he talks about. So it was really cool to hear his his story and then also the improvements he think that could actually be made, because I do think the foster care system can work. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to to see kind of like, you know, how he makes an imprint in that, hopefully. Yeah, I I loved his story, but man, it is it was so heartbreaking to eat. just like hear all that he'd been through 
by yeah. seven years old. Like, yeah, I, I, I just, I can't fathom having all that trauma and then, you know, needing to work through that. And I'm very thankful he is uh, working through that. Yeah, yeah, that, and it, it's it's wild because I, I'm, I, you know, I brought it up in there about how like you know we were like situations away from a foster foster care system you know yeah if if honestly if the school system kind of knew what i was going through i probably would have been in and i'm sure you know maybe similar in your in your case you know yeah yeah um so yeah hey guys again if you if you if you kind of skimmed through it you might want to go back and listen to it listen to the details um about you know what what eric was saying but you guys know what time it is the time above all times it is time for the friendship quiz that was a good one tony um i got you you know what tony you've been doing good with this friendship quiz but today i think i'm gonna stump you um are you ready for the question I'm always ready, so I never have to get ready. Well, excuse me. Okay, what was my first car? I've only had three cars in my life, and you've ridden in all of them. Yeah. Easy. It was a green... uh, Ford Explorer, fun one. Let's go. <laughs> okay, I, I'll give it to you. It was green and it was a Ford. Oh, no, no, you're wrong. I'm not going to give it to you. It was green. I'll give you a half a point, but it was a Chevy Blazer. Dang which, it. Dang which it. is like uh, a smaller version of a Ford Explorer. Man, nice you try. You did to. have a Ford Explorer at one point, right? Ford Escape. So Escape. I had the smaller version, and then the Chevy Blazer is like the match. Okay, you were close. Got it. That was good. See, see. <laughs> hey guys, thank you so much again for hopping on our podcast, Authentically Us. Again, review, like, share. Hey, check the show notes. Um, for anything that we, we have up, upcoming also for Eric's Instagram until next time be authentic in everything that you do peace peace